الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الكريم وعلى آله وصحابه ومن استنى بالسنة إلى يوم الدين All praise due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings and the last Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and on all those who follow the path of righteousness until the last day. The topic of this evening, search for inner peace, is a topic which addresses a universal need. This is not something uh, particular to any group of people, any religion or any race or nation, etc. Human beings as a whole have this need to find inner peace. And they seek to fulfill it through a variety of different ways. From the accumulation of material possessions, which is what modern society promotes as the way for inner peace. If you have enough money, you can have a nice life, you can go on a Caribbean tour or whatever, you know, whatever money will, is going to bring it for you. Or people try to find it through music, you know, music changes your mood when you're down, you have nice songs that put you up and make you feel calm and whatever. Or some people try through drugs and so on and so forth, you know. Uh, some people seek it through their careers, you know, as workaholics, they're fully into their careers, trying to find peace through it, you know, a sense of contentment. Uh, others try to find it through their children. When they can't find it for themselves, they try to seek it through their children, that their children would fulfill the dreams that they had for themselves. But, uh, the reality is that the majority of people continue throughout their lives with this search and end up in the end of their lives without ever finding the answer. Though Western society presents technology, uh, development, modernization as being the solution, the reality is that 20 million adult Americans suffer from depression yearly. 20 million. Depression being the opposite of inner peace. And in the year 2000, in the US, the death rate from suicides was twice that of AIDS. AIDS is always in the newspaper, we know people campaigning for AIDS, etc., etc. But people who are committing suicide in America double the number of those dying from AIDS. And even those who are dying from homicides, people being just shot down, killed, the number of people who die from suicides is greater. So this is telling us something. That this society, that society which is at the peak, all the other countries are trying to follow it in one way or another, looking at it as being the ideal, the technological ideal, the answer isn't there. So if we are to identify really what is the correct route, what is the real way to find that inner peace, 
we need to know first and foremost what is peace itself how do we define peace according to the Webster's new 20th century dictionary peace is defined as freedom from war or civil strife freedom from war or civil strife well freedom from war the world is caught up in one war after another so that level of peace we can say seems virtually unattainable the second definition freedom from public disturbance or disorder public security law and order public disturbance this is what crime people breaking into your homes into your cars etc well I don't think we're going to find too much peace in that direction I think it's pretty well uh, gone there was a time in the past when life was simpler it was a little more secure but now that security is gone peace seems elusive from that perspective the third definition was freedom from disagreements or quarrels harmony and concord well, this relates to families jobs etc disagreements we're always involved in disagreements here there everywhere there are disagreements so as we're looking through these definitions it sort of seems like we can't get peace the fourth definition an undisturbed state of mind an absence of mental conflict serenity sounds like something very attractive but uh, people try to do it through yoga through meditation through a variety of other means but an undisturbed state of mind who experiences that probably maybe when we go to sleep for a while we find find a little bit of peace but for the most part there are so many disturbances in our lives there seems to be <coughs> no peace there and the last definition given in the Webster's uh, 20th century dictionary was calm quiet and tranquility this comes and goes there are times of calm times of quiet but a continual state I think nobody experiences that so that raises the question is inner peace really attainable maybe it's just a fiction something that we search for which is something we can't achieve it's beyond our means it seems even if we were to reduce ourselves to the lowest possible level the, the, that each one of us spent time in the womb before we came into this world if we say this world is full of no peace at least in the womb maybe we found some peace there were we in a state of peace in the womb or was the baby kicking ticking and pushing and so it seems even in the womb we were not even at peace and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had said لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي كَبَدٍ I've created human beings in toil and struggle that it seems we're doomed not to find any peace that our life is a series of struggles 
from the time we were in the womb we come out even coming out into this world is a struggle some children die in the process and when you look at a baby it seems to be struggling as it's growing trying to walk falling crawling so this world seems to be a world of struggle there are some brief periods of peace but to say to find a period or a state of continual peace it doesn't seem to exist the world is a world of opposites struggles between the cold we're experiencing now and the heat in the summer between good and evil between knowledge and ignorance there seems to be a series of struggles in our lives opposites struggling with each other so if we assume though the situation seems to imply that there's no way to achieve that inner peace if we assume theoretically that there must be a way then it would mean that we would need to remove whatever obstacles that we are finding in life now we need to remove those obstacles to find that state of peace so we need to develop a strategy as to how to remove the obstacles and to find inner peace the first step is to identify the obstacles what are the obstacles in our lives to inner peace what is stopping us from achieving inner peace we need to identify them be aware of them to identify them and to accept them as obstacles it's important because if we don't accept them as obstacles if we deny them then there's no way to achieve it If one says for example anger anger is an obstacle to inner peace because when you get angry your peace is gone whatever peace of mind you had peace of heart is gone with your anger so anger is an enemy it is an obstacle to inner peace but if you are saying yes it's an obstacle but i don't get angry but in fact you get angry then you're not going to be able to remove that obstacle so one has to be willing to accept when one identifies what the obstacles are they have to be willing to accept them as obstacles so that they can change them the second step would be to remove the obstacles by some solutions identify some solutions and remove the obstacles so that consists of two steps first we have to identify solutions after we identified obstacles then we identify solutions then we have to take steps to apply those solutions to remove the obstacles now when we look at the obstacles in our lives i just mentioned one anger but if we look in terms of our lives as a whole we can say that there are many obstacles the main ones tend to be personal problems anger is included in there family issues financial dilemmas work pressures and spiritual confusion these seem to be 
a summary of the main areas of obstacles. But as I said, there's so many. They're like illnesses. We go through so many different illnesses in our lives. We get a cold, get over that cold, another cold comes, we get flu, we get so many different things. To try to deal with each and every obstacle is futile. Too many of them. So instead, it would be better to determine a method, a standard method of dealing with obstacles. Which we can apply now to any obstacle we find in our life. The first rule in dealing with obstacles is that those obstacles which we perceive to be beyond our control, we have to leave those aside. Because there's some obstacles that we can change, some issues that we can deal with, we can correct. And then there are others which we can't. They're beyond our control. As the Prophet ﷺ had said, if the jinn and the humans gathered together to benefit you, they could only benefit you with something which Allah had written for you. If the jinn and humans gathered together to benefit you, they could only benefit you with something which Allah has written for you. So there is a, an element of our lives which is beyond our control. And this is not something, as I said, unique to the Islamic point of view. There is a prayer which is called the serenity prayer. <coughs> Non-Muslims, Christians and others use it. It says, we seek the patience to surrender to the unchangeable. First line. We seek the patience to surrender to the unchangeable. That's the same principle. If you can't surrender to the unchangeable, then you're going to be in turmoil and conflict about things that are beyond your control. So you, your chances of finding inner peace lost completely. So just the act of submission, surrendering to what is beyond your control, that gives you an element of inner peace. That is part of the contentment that is achievable by surrendering. Since we can't change these issues, then surrender to them. I'm born black in a world where white people are considered better. Can I change being born black? I'm born poor in a world where rich people are treated better. I'm born short in a world where tall people are favored. I'm born crippled in a world where people who are whole have advantages that I don't have. I mean, these are among the things that we can't change. How we're born, how we're created, are beyond our control. So therefore, we have to just surrender to it, accept it. And that will give us an element of inner peace. And Allah, in the Quran addressing this, said, perhaps you may dislike something which is good for you. 
And you may love something which is harmful to you. This is the reality of this life. What we complain about, what we see as unchangeable, we can't do anything about it. And we think, why me? Why is it this way? But there is good in it that we cannot identify. If God, if Allah has made us in a particular way, has put us in a particular circumstance, then there is good in it. This is part of the surrendering. Knowing that God is just. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ahkamul hakimin. He is the most just of anyone who could be just. So there's no reason for us to question God why. Instead we should say to ourselves, why not? Rather than why, we should tell ourselves, why not? Are we so good as to deserve uh, you know, a wonderful, easy life with no problems, etc.? Or are we making all kinds of mistakes? Are we committing all kinds of sins? So when a calamity strikes us, rather than saying, why God, why me? Tell ourselves, why not? What have I deserved? What have I done to deserve other than this? In fact, God is merciful. It's only a small calamity. Really, I deserve a much bigger calamity. Because of the way I've been living. So, the idea of surrendering to the unchangeable. Accepting the destiny. What has happened in our lives. This is the first step to achieving a measure of inner peace. True inner peace in the sense that, hey, no worries, life is going on beautiful, no issues, that is Jannah. That is what we seek at the end of this life. Allah already told us, in this life, we are created in Kabad. Struggle. That's reality. That's the unchangeable. Struggle is inevitable. We'll find struggle wherever we turn. But the point is, there is an element of inner peace that we can find, which we can weave in between the struggles, which will keep us on an even keel. It will balance the struggle. Struggle on one side, and the peace on the other side, to keep us on an even keel. And this is why Prophet Muhammad had said in another hadith, do not look at those above you who are more fortunate. Instead, look to those below you who are less fortunate. Looking to those above you, again, that will never bring any peace to you. That in fact just drives you through your jealousy, through your you know, desires for what other people have, you know, to never be satisfied. The grass is always greener on the other side. As the Prophet ﷺ said, if the child of Adam is given a valley of gold, he would want another one. Never satisfied. Al-Hakumut Takathur. Driven by the desire to accumulate of this world whatever we can. And what drives us is looking at others. Somebody always has more than we have. So we'll always be 
hustling, running, trying to get more. But instead, if we looked at those less fortunate, that can help to settle us down. Hey, it's not so bad after all. There are people, so many people who are far worse off. And no matter how bad our situation is, no doubt, there are many people in this world far worse off than we. So, accept, surrender to the unchangeable. The second point of the serenity prayer is spiritual strength to change the changeable. Spiritual strength to change the changeable. Where does that come from? That comes from turning to God. Turning our affairs over to God. Seeking Allah's guidance in our lives. Putting our trust in Him. That we get the strength to deal with the issues that we can change. The third point in the serenity prayer is wisdom to realize the difference between the two. Between the changeable and the unchangeable. Because if we don't have the wisdom, then it's confusion. We'll be struggling with things that we can't change and we'll be accepting things that we can change. And of course, we'll not achieve uh, peace, any measure of real peace in our lives if we don't put them in the correct categories. So for the things that we can change, where we turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, ask Him to help us. We have to focus on, in the things that we can change, first and foremost on where? Where should we focus first? Huh? Salah. Okay. What about zakah? What about fasting? Because if we're in Ramadan, should we not focus on fasting? In general, what we should focus on is ourselves. Salah is a part of focusing on ourselves, but the general principle is we should focus on ourselves. When Allah said in the Quran, Ya amanu, ku anfusakum wa nara. Oh, you believe, save yourselves and your families from the hellfire. Yourself first. It's of no use to be worried about everybody else. Put all of our energies in activities concerning others and we leave ourselves unsaved. This is a major error on our parts. We cannot make real change that way. <coughs> Meaning, we can parade down the streets, uh, make demonstrations for Iraq, what is happening in Iraq, and Chechnya, and Kashmir, and all over the Muslim world. We can spend all year long marching for every cause out there. But, here in Bradford, 
Our children are going to non-Muslim schools. Being destroyed by the society. Drugs, crime, all this is rampant amongst us. In our jails, we have people who are half with Quran. But we're parading down the street for Chechnya, Bosnia, for everybody. But we are not taking care of ourselves. Why? Why do we do that? Because it's easy to parade down the street with placards and make a lot of noise for Chechnya and Kashmir. It's difficult to establish schools for our children. That takes real effort. And our nature is to shy away from real effort. Take the paths of least resistance. What's easy. And of course, we can't make any real change that way. We expend a lot of energy on things which are important, but not the most important. Prioritize. Putting first things first. Where do we begin? We have to begin with self. Second, we have to admit ultimately that we are powerless. Without the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we cannot change anything. We can identify it, we can desire to change it, but without the help of Allah, of God, we can't change it. That is reality. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. There is no change. لا حول ولا قوة and no force, no power. إلا بالله except by the permission of Allah. This is reality. These are the realities that we have to come to grips with if we are serious about achieving inner peace. Achieving the necessary changes to produce in our lives inner peace. Thirdly, we have to accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our lives as being the only power who can help us. One is recognizing that we are powerless. The other one is accepting Allah in our lives seriously to make that change. Accepting Allah in our lives means we have to stop for a minute and really think. Do I really believe in Allah? Or is it only a word that I say because everybody else around me says it? La ilaha illallah. There is no God worthy of worship but Allah. Am I saying it as a parrot says it? Or do I really believe it in my heart? Is it reflected in my actions? Or am I living as if really there is no God? Because actions, as they say, 
speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. So if our actions are no different from those people who deny God's existence, then where does that put us? So for example, go back to the basic point. Salah, prayer. What is the state of our salah? When we turn to Allah, sincerely from our hearts, is it on a daily basis? In our five times daily prayers? Is it coming from our hearts? Or are we praying ritual prayers? Somebody asked you, what surah did you recite after Fatiha Yusuf? I'm not sure. Five times daily prayer. When does it come sincere from our heart? When calamity strikes. Huh? When the calamity strikes, we're in trouble, problems are facing us, then yes, we turn to Allah sincerely. Oh Allah, help me. But in reality, what kind of prayer is that? The one who says there is no God, he denies Allah's existence. But he finds himself in a circumstance, he's standing on top of the World Trade Center, when the planes hit. And he sees the Twin Towers falling. He knows that's it. It's all over. What does he say? Ah, tough luck. No! He turns out, oh God, oh God, oh God! He calls on God even more strongly than the uh, believers around him. If there are some Christian believers or who think they believe or whatever, and Muslims, and he's screaming louder than everybody else. From the depths of his heart. So we say in the end, what is the difference between him and us? If the only sincere prayer that we make is at the time of trial, difficulty, problems, then we have to question our belief. If we can't make it real, except at that time, then I'm suggesting that maybe it isn't real at all. It isn't real. That's what it implies. And I ask Allah to help us to make it real. Because there is no salvation for us if it's not real. Because yes, Prophet ﷺ did say, whoever says La ilaha illallah will enter paradise. But he also said, whoever said La ilaha illallah sincerely from his heart will enter paradise. He clarified. It's a general situation. Yes, whoever says La ilaha illallah. But sincerity. In other narrations he said, knowing. Because of course, a non-Muslim, a person who doesn't believe, could say La ilaha illallah. Is that going to get him into paradise? No. 
It has to be based on knowledge and it has to be sincere. So we have to question ourselves. Are we sincere? And if we're not, then we have to get sincere. We have to achieve a level of sincerity which makes our salah real. Makes our salah real. Not just ritual. And our fasting, Ramadan is coming. And what of this Ramadan? What of the Ramadan which went before? Are we any different than we were before the Ramadan of last year? Or are we in the same place? During Ramadan, we're in the masjid. Every evening, taraweeh. The end of Ramadan, we don't see the masjid again for another 11 months. Or maybe we'll catch Eid or... And every year we just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Actually from a medical perspective, this is called an obsession. Where you keep doing the same thing, getting the same results, but you still keep doing it over and over and over again. So this is something we have to address. Self-change can only happen if we make our belief in Allah real. And that's why Allah said, it is only with the remembrance of Allah that hearts find rest. This is where the peace lies. In the remembrance of Allah. The true remembrance of Allah. Prayer is remembrance of Allah. Most primary. As Allah said, Establish the prayer for my remembrance. To remember me. That is the goal of the prayer. To remember Allah. And in remembering Allah, the hearts find rest. Remembering Allah is not just Saying subhanallah, alhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar. These are forms of remembering Allah. Dhikr. But even in those <coughs> acts of remembrance, it has to be done real. It has to be done really. We say subhanallah, alhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah. Wallahu Akbar. Subhanallah, what does Subhanallah mean? Most of us don't even know what it means. We just say, Subhanallah, Hamla, Lakbar. Subhanallah, Hamla, Lakbar. Actually, this is not remembering Allah at all. Subhanallah, that is, that is an insult. Hamla, this is a curse. Lakbar, this is an affront to Allah. But this is what we're doing. After Salah, Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, 
What is this? We have to ask, we have to stop a minute here. You know, we've gotten into this routine where we don't even think about it anymore. We're just going through these motions. We have to stop ourselves. Better to say subhanallah one time. Understanding what we're saying, meaning it from our hearts, than to say spanla a thousand times. Believe me. Spanla has no value. It's an affront to God. Allah's name is Allah. Subhanallah. Not Spanla. So we really, I mean, though we're laughing, it's actually something pathetic. Really, it is something pathetic. A number of times, people who accept Islam, I take them into the masjid, we sit down, they see the prayer, they do the prayer with us, and after the prayer, they're looking at Muslims. And then they ask me, what are the Muslims doing? I see their hands all shaking like this. You know, fingers are moving and their whole hand is shaking. During the prayer, they're fine. When the prayer is over, their hands are shaking like they have uh, Alzheimer's. Or, I explained to them actually they're remembering Allah. <laughs> Inshallah. We need to really be real about this. Be real about this. We need to address what we are doing. <coughs> Actions which are purely ritual, where we have no effort at sincerity. Because I'm saying, of course, we may have an effort and not achieve it. But there is no effort on our part to be sincere. Then those actions are useless. In fact, on the Day of Judgment, they become hujjah against us. Those same hands that we were saying spamlai with is going to speak against us. Oh Allah, He cursed you with my fingers, with these fingers. Our body parts will speak out against us. So we should use it as it was prescribed. We should remember Allah as the Prophet ﷺ taught us. He taught us to remember Him, to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a real way, in a way which would touch us, would go into our hearts, it would affect us. He told us to say istighfar a hundred times more in a day. Do it regularly, seek Allah's forgiveness. He would do it Himself. He was our guide. So, we need to be real. We need to put our trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He is the only one who can help us ultimately. And we need to turn to Him, make a change, make a commitment. There has to come a point, and we don't want to wait until the last minute. We don't want to put it off, you know, next week, after I make Umrah, or after I make Hajj, next year, no. 
We have to make a commitment now. Because none of us knows when we walk out of this hall what is ahead of us. That's reality. We don't know what's ahead of us. So we have to make that commitment now. We walk out of this hall, we walk out committing ourselves to remembering Allah. Remembering Him in each and everything that we do. Or trying to. Of course, maybe initially we can't achieve it because it's not something, you know, you go from zero remembrance to 100% remembrance, you know, like with the flip of a switch. You know, we're not like that. It does take time. We do have to work on it. And it takes effort. It's not easy. So, this is what we need to commit ourselves to. And it is only through this, as Allah has already told us, that we will ultimately find inner peace. That which we are seeking is here. It doesn't mean that having found that element of inner peace, that we are free from any struggle, toil, difficulties, etc. But we just said, there is a balance that we can make in our lives. Without that inner peace, then the struggle, the confusion, the problems, etc. are without end. It's extreme. Our problems have reached a level of extremity. It's extremities, it's extreme, it's difficult. It's too much because we don't have that balance. Because ultimately, what has happened to us is that this life, this world, the materials has become our goal. This is what is most important to us. It has become the goal of life for us. And Prophet Muhammad he said in a hadith narrated by Zayd ibn Thabit, Zayd ibn Thabit who wrote the Wahi, Revelation, collected the Quran in the time of Abu Bakr, made the copies in the time of Uthman. He narrated that the Prophet said, Man kanat dunya hamma, فَرَّقَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ أَمْرَهُ وَجَعَلَ فَقْرَهُ بَيْنَ عَيْنَيْهِ وَلَمْ يَأْتِهِ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا مَا كُتِبَ لَهُ Whoever makes this world his main concern, Allah will scatter his affairs and place poverty between his eyes and he will not acquire anything of this world except what was already written for him. Whoever makes this world his main concern, Allah will scatter his affairs and place poverty between his eyes and he will not acquire anything of this world except what was already written for him. وَمَنْ كَانَتِ الْآخِرَةِ نِيَّةً جَمَعَ اللَّهُ لَهُ أَمْرًا وَجَعَلَ غِنَاهُ فِي قَلْبِهِ وَأَتَتْهُ الدُّنْيَا وَهِيَ رَاغِمَةً But whoever makes the hereafter his main goal, Allah will gather his affairs 
place richness in his heart and the world will come to him conquered and submissive. But whoever makes the hereafter his main goal, Allah will gather his affairs, place richness in his heart, and the world will come to him conquered and submissive. This is the promise of the Prophet of Allah. It's clear. That peace, that richness of heart, the richness which Allah will put in that person's heart, this is the true richness, as the Prophet said, لَيْسَ الْغِنَى مِنْ كَثْرَةُ Richness, wealth, is not from having many possessions. لَكِنَّ الْغِنَى the true wealth is wealth of the soul. Contentment. Finding peace with the remembrance of Allah. So my brothers and sisters, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us to be patient with the things in our lives which we cannot change. To know that they are for the best. To be patient with them. And Allah will reward us for our patience. In our patience, our sins will be erased. In our patience, our iman will be increased. In our patience, we will succeed even in the times of what appears to be failure. We might appear to fail. We might appear to be defeated. But with patience, we have won. We have not been defeated. As the Prophet ﷺ had said, in a principle which Stephen Covey coined as win-win. Think win-win. Not win-lose. When you're going into a situation, rather than thinking win-lose, think win-win. Well, 1,400 years ago, the Prophet ﷺ enunciated that. That win-win is the case for the believer alone. For the true believer his case, her case, is a win-win situation. There is no loss. He said, عَجَبًا لِأَمْرِ الْمُؤْمِنِ إِنَّ أَمْرَهُ كُلَّهُ خَيْرٌ وَلَيْسَ ذَاكَ لِأَحَدٍ إِلَّا لِلْمُؤْمِنِ The affair of the believer is amazing. The whole of his life is beneficial. And that is only in the case of the believer. إِنْ أَصَابَتْهُ سَرَّا شَكَرَ فَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُ وَإِنْ أَصَابَتْهُ ضَرَّا صَبَرَ فَكَانَ خَيْرًا لَهُ When good times come to him, he is thankful and it is good for him. And when bad times befall him, he is patient 
and it is good for him that is the state of the believer his contentment lies in being patient in times of difficulty being thankful in times of ease and patience in times of difficulty is much easier than thankfulness in times of ease let us not fool ourselves know that if things are going good to remember to thank Allah is more difficult it's easier to get so wrapped up in the good things that are happening and joy you forget everything else forget the responsibilities to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remembering being patient in times of difficulty even the disbeliever can do that the disbeliever he looks at his situation he says no point beating my head against the wall that's how it is I just have to grin and bear it bite the bullet he can do that too but remembering Allah in the time of ease that's the difficult one but if we're able to do that then it is the promise of the Prophet ﷺ that we remain in the win-win situation. And in that state, we have found the balance. The balance between struggle, turmoil, chaos, and serenity, peace, tranquility. And this is what we all need. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us to achieve it. To give us the courage to commit ourselves tonight to not walk out of here without making that commitment to ourselves. Between ourselves and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because ultimately that's where the commitment is, isn't it? It's not between you and me. I can ask you, yes, will you make a commitment tonight? You can say yes, but then you don't. So in the end it's really between you and Allah, me and Allah. Each and every one of us has to make that commitment between ourselves and Allah to be real. Be real about our faith. Turn our prayers, our fasting, our zakah, our umrah, our hajj into real acts of worship and not traditional, customary rituals done by those before us. Barakallah First question, what is the cure for depression? It depends on the cause. People go into states of depression for a variety of different reasons. So, we can't say there is one cure-all for everything. You take it like a pill and everything goes. No. One needs to look at the cause of that depression and then find the solution within the teachings of Islam. Because it's there in the Qur'an which Allah describes as being shifa'un lima fi sudur a cure for what is in the hearts. Depression which affects our hearts, its cure lies in the Qur'an. 
Read the Quran. Read it regularly. In Ramadan and outside of Ramadan. Read it and reflect. Not just reading the Arabic text, but understanding what that Arabic text is saying to us. The cure is there. The treatment for our illnesses, our illnesses and our ailments are there. Situation of Muslims around the globe is a bad, sad situation. How does one be? How can one be satisfied and have inner peace? If one wor- worries, should we accept? In other words, should we accept what is happening? Of course, we don't accept what is happening. We oppose it. We hate it in our hearts. But. We have to focus on those things that we can change. Inner peace, if we focus on the things we can change, then we can achieve an element or a segment or a portion of inner peace. As I said, in its totality, that is in the next life. That is paradise. Without worry, without trial, without difficulty. That's the next life. This life. But if it's beyond our control and our ability, then we need to focus our greater energies, our, our abilities in trying to, to change ourselves. Change the things about ourselves which are harmful to ourselves and harmful to others. To get ourselves in line with the true teachings of Islam. The teachings which are based on belief, real belief in God. Not just lip service to tradition and culture, but true belief in God. Does spirituality or Sufism have a basis in Islam? Well, I wouldn't say Spirituality is Sufism. Spirituality, of course, is essential in Islam to have a spiritual basis for our belief that it's not just the physical mouthing of words. Yes, the spirit must be involved. The spirit is the most important aspect of our beings. So, of course, spirituality is an essential part of Islam. If we take the spirituality out of Islam, then we end up with blind rituals, going through the motions. Sufism is something else. Where Sufism, or what people may call Sufism, focuses on spiritual aspects of Islam as taught by the Prophet, as mentioned in the Quran, as understood by the companions of the Prophet then that has a basis in Islam. But where Sufism introduces practices, ideas, concepts, which have nothing to do with Islam, which come from Hinduism, Greek philosophy, and a variety of other sources, then we say that has no basis in Islam. Can you please suggest some methods of acquiring peace 
and worshipping with sincerity. Well, we can say if we talk about worshipping with sincerity, which would help us to remember Allah, I would say that knowing what you're saying, if we know what we're saying in Salah, that's a big step forward. If we don't know what we're saying, if we have learned Fatiha, we've learned some Surahs, we know Samiallahu liman hamida, we know Rabbana lakal hamd, but we don't know what these things mean. Then of course, we are in an uphill battle, struggling. How to be conscious, how to reflect on Allah when we're saying things that we don't even know what they mean. So that is a starting point. Know Salah. Know our Salah. Establish the Salah based on understanding what we're saying. And then when we say it, say it with reflection. Say it reflecting on what we're saying. That way it has meaning. Without that, then we just run through it very quickly and it has no impact. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Inna salah tanha anil fahsha wal munkar. Indeed, prayer prevents evil speech and evil deeds. What kind of prayer is Allah talking about here? The one that we are doing? Where we pray five times a day and we go out and cheat people? Lie? Steal? Obviously, that's not the prayer that Allah prescribed. We're doing something else. Another prayer. When a man came into the masjid with the Prophet ﷺ and his companions, and he prayed in a corner of the masjid and he came over to sit down, the Prophet ﷺ said to him, go back and pray because you didn't pray. He went through the motions of prayer. Completed them. Made his taslims, came over and the Prophet ﷺ said, go back and pray because you didn't pray. And he went back and did it again. And the Prophet ﷺ told him the same thing when he came to sit down. Go back and pray because you didn't pray. He went back and did it again. Came back. Prophet ﷺ, when, he's, when the Prophet ﷺ is going to tell him, go back and pray, he said, this is the only prayer I know, Messenger of Allah. This is the only one I know. So please tell me what I'm supposed to do. So he told him. When you stand, you stand and you pause in your standing. When you bow, you pause in your bowing. When you come out of the bowing again, you pause in your standing. When you go down to sujood, you pause in your sujood. Now if we look at the average prayer of Muslims today, you see them standing and by the time they've stood up, they're bowing. As soon as they hit the bowing, they're coming back out again. As soon as they come back out, they're going down. So it's like, you know, they're just going through a ballet. You know, there's just movements back out again. So what kind of prayer is this? This is the one that the Prophet ﷺ said, go back and pray, because you didn't pray. There's no pausing. Trying to get through it as quickly as possible. I've even seen people make two sujoods without even sitting up in between. Just lifted their head and touched the ground twice. This is the state of Salah today. So I would say that we need to start with Salah. That is the beginning point. 
having made that commitment, accepted Allah, made a commitment to make a change, to remember Allah sincerely, then we need to start with the most important pillar of Islam, which is Salah. That's where we need to start. Is it wrong for Muslims to do certain exercises to attain peace? Well, this is kind of vague. What is a certain exercise? Yoga? We have to be clear what you're talking about here. Because exercise is not going to give you inner peace. I mean, unless you go into yoga and yoga philosophy, where you start to focus on some point or focus on Om or, you know, the, the theology of Hinduism. And of course, if you're going there, then that is for you as a Muslim haram. So if the person who wrote this wanted to clarify what they meant by certain exercise, because included in exercises, aerobics. You find inner peace with aerobics? Or karate, is exercise. So many different kinds of exercise. Which exercise did you mean? Who wrote this? What, what exercise did you mean? Well, the point is, if you're talking about exercise in general, Prophet Muhammad used to exercise, he used to wrestle, he used to run races with his wives, he used to ride in uh, races with his companions. So we know that Islam encourages it. It's healthy, it's good to be healthy, to walk, to exercise, etc. So whatever physical benefits come out of it, then that has already been endorsed. But that is from a physical plane. That affects our body chemistry. But the, the spiritual element, this is only going to come through the remembrance of God. To pray the Salah with our hearts requires us to understand what we are saying. Is it obligatory to learn Arabic? Yes. It is obligatory for every Muslim to learn Arabic. This is one of the unifying elements of Islam. So that wherever you go in the world, you go to China, they make the Adhan in China, masjids in China don't look like masjids that you know. They make the Adhan in China, if they made it in Chinese, you wouldn't know. But they say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So you know it's the masjid. If you went in there and the Imam was leading the Salah, reciting Surah Al-Fatiha in Chinese, again, you have problems here. So the Arabic unifies the Muslim world so that Muslims can pray with Muslims anywhere. Regardless of their language, we can pray together. And understand that prayer. So yes, that is 
an obligation on each and every one of us. And that is for our formal prayer. But now if you're making informal prayer, supplications, does that have to be in Arabic? No. It can be in your own language. That you can, supplications you make anytime. It's not a requirement that, that it be in Arabic. So it is only the formal prayer which is which establishes a system a system for life and unifies the Muslim world in prayer. If one is tried by many afflictions, is there a sign is this a sign that he is a true believer? Not necessarily. He could be a wretched individual. And Allah is giving him a set of punishments. Okay? So, trials, though yes, as the Prophet ﷺ said, the Prophets received the most trials. And those most like them receive the next most. And Allah tries the individual based on his or her iman. But at the same time, Allah does punish some people in this world too. The major punishment is in the next life, but some people get it in this life too. So, it doesn't mean necessarily if you receive a lot of trials that you are a true believer. But, if you think about it from the perspective, if you are in fact a believer, and you are receiving the trials, and you think about it from the perspective that this is from Allah a test for me, that I need to be patient with, etc., etc., then for you, it could be a sign that you are a true believer. But it's how you respond to the trials. This is what determines ultimately, is it the trial of a true believer, or is it the punishment of a wretch? How do you deal with anger? You control it. That's how you deal with it. You have to control it. Prophet ﷺ said, لا تغضب. Don't get angry. Hold it. Yes, Western uh, medicine used to say, if you feel angry, let it out. Better, rather than keeping it in your chest, better to just let it out, get it off your chest. You know, you'll feel better afterwards. But, the Prophet ﷺ said, don't let it out. Keep it inside. It's better for you. Recently, modern medicine says, no, it's not good to let it out. Because when you scream at the top of your lungs, and you do these things, you pop vessels in your brain, and you can harm yourself. No, it's not better. Yeah, it is not better. Control it. Struggle with it. Fight it. Know that it is something displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Know that it is a sign of weakness, and not one of strength. As the Prophet ﷺ said, that the true strong man is not the one who is the champion wrestler, but the one able to control his anger when he gets angry. And the Prophet ﷺ also said, if you're angry when you're standing, sit down. And if you're angry still when you're sitting down, lie down. That's a different one in certain circumstances, but... That's what he said. You know, you think about it. Hey, I'm going to have to lie down here. It's not good. Okay, let me control myself. Well, that's, that's good. 
If it works like that, then it's good for you. Is there any specific dua linked to peace or sabr, etc.? Well, the Prophet ﷺ gave us many supplications. He taught us supplications for all of the various circumstances in our lives. And all of them involve an element of peace and patience. This is something across the board. So, I would just say, rather than trying to find this specific dua, and sometimes we get caught up in this, you know. Uh, I find sometimes students, when exam time come around, they come to me in the Islamic center, and they ask me, uh, is there a dua to pass exams? <laughs> we are supposed to make efforts on our own part, and then make supplication asking God to help us. Right? As they say, tie your camel. You do what you're supposed to do. You study through the year, you prepare yourself. And when the time for the exam comes, you ask Allah to help you. That's legitimate, because you made the effort. But now you, who has done no work, all year long, you didn't do your assignments, you didn't do all these things, then you come the day before, night before the exam, and you look at all the stuff you have to study, you know it's impossible. So you're looking, okay Allah, I need a miracle here now. I need a miracle to get through this one. It doesn't work like that. I mean, that's not what dua is for, to create miracles for us. We're supposed to make the effort. We've been given the guidance. We should follow that guidance, apply it to our lives. And then we turn ourselves to Allah. We turn our affairs over to Him. Because ultimately His help, in spite of all of the effort we made, without His help we still won't succeed. In difficult times like today, what is the best method to unite the Muslim Ummah and society when so much division and hatred exists even among Muslims? Well, as I said, we start with ourselves. Start on whatever scale we can start on. When you have a gathering, whether it's a wedding, whatever gathering that you have invite some people from the other groups the tendency here is people from certain groups they come together you know depending on what your language is you speak Urdu or Bengali or whatever your language you, you gather together so you know what does that do does that increase the chances of unity of the Ummah or it decreases it. It decreases it. So we need to invite others from some of the other groups. And we know they're from different backgrounds. There's an Arab or he's an Egyptian, he's a Bengali, he's an African, whatever. West Indian. Invite other people into our gatherings. Because that's what Islam is. 
Islam is a multicultural representation of humanity submitting its will to Allah, the creator of humanity. That's who we are. So that should be reflected in our gatherings. It's just on a social level. If we can't do that on a social level, in our little community here, then can we talk about the Ummah? Uniting the Ummah? Whose problems far exceed the problems that we have here. Begin with ourselves. Is the state of ourselves and, and the general Ummah so bad because of deficiency in Tawheed? Yes. It is related. Because what is Tawheed? It is accepting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His unique oneness. It's the same thing I was just talking about. Without that acceptance of Allah in His unique oneness, we don't find the peace. We don't, we cannot achieve the unity. We cannot achieve the establishment or implementation of Islam on a community level, on a societal level. Yes, Tawheed is the key. Tawheedillah. And from establishing Tawheed, we can establish Tawheed with the Ummah, bring that Ummah together. But we need to establish first step, Tawheed within ourselves, accepting Allah truly in His unique oneness. That He knows what we're doing. We are accountable for what we do. We will have to answer. If we sincerely believe that, then we can change. Is there any truth in the saying, if there is no justice, there will be no peace? Can there be peace without justice? Well, this is philosophy here now. I would say that the two are intertwined. Allah is most just and He is the source of peace. That true justice brings about peace and real peace is based on justice. Justice with regards to human beings, with regards to Allah and the world. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, shadwala ilaha ilaha ant, astaghfiruka wa natibu alayka.